You're listening to a sermon from Redeeming Life Church. Good to see everyone. How are you guys? Right on. I'm tired. <laughs> um, this whole this whole week has been rough for me. Just being sick, as Brian and Lisa have kind of been saying, they were sick all week. I was sick all week. It was just one of those weeks. It was just tough. So if you guys traveling, feeling the same way, can empathize with you as well. Um, but before I before I dive into this stuff, I'd just like to pray again. So you guys would just pray with me. God, I just pray, um, Father, that you would be the one that speaks tonight. Father, I pray that I would simply be nothing more than just an instrument and a vessel for you to speak to your people, including myself. Father, I pray that your word um, would speak powerfully to our hearts and to our minds, to our emotions and to our actions. God, I pray that you would move us and shape us through the power of your spirit tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, so if you want to turn with me to Romans 10, um, so we're going to be at tonight. I have the of the incredible task of trying to preach one sermon on the entire chapter of Romans, which is uh, never an easy task, but one that I am thankful for. Um, and so, Romans 10, there's a ton of stuff in here. I just want to say, just as an encouragement, I know when I was just preparing for this, I found so many things that I could have talked about that we could have talked about tonight. So many things. I just encourage you, if you don't already have one, get a study Bible and just read Romans 10 and read all the notes. There's so much. I mean, the whole Bible, that should be the, the practice. But specifically with this, we can't talk about everything. I'm only going to talk about one piece of Romans 10, kind of towards the end of the chapter. Um, but just want to encourage you, study it for yourself. Please be in the Word yourself. Please be studying Romans with a study Bible, concordance, commentaries, whatever. There's tons of stuff in here for us. Um, but to catch us up to kind of where I want to get us tonight, I just want to start real brief, briefly kind of walking through just the very beginning of what Romans 10 is talking about. Paul has just ended chapter 9, talking about his desire to see Israel saved. He's, he is concerned with their unbelief, that they continue to struggle with this idea that righteousness is going to lead to saving faith. Okay, and so if you look with me at verse 2, and start in verse 2 of chapter 10. Um, it says here, it says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So Paul's concern for Israel here is their same thing that we've kind of been talking about for a while. They're trying to establish their own righteousness in the things that they are continually doing themselves. They're striving in their own works, their good deeds, their knowledge of the law, their knowledge of Scripture, their knowledge of all sorts of things, and they are equating that and the law to saving faith, righteousness, right standing with God. And so Paul is immediately saying, look, these guys have a great passion for God, great zeal. That's great. He commends them for that. But the problem is zeal in the wrong direction is still not a good thing. And so Paul is saying... In verse, uh, in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So when, G- when he's saying the end of the law, he's saying the Greek word kind of describes it in two facets, meaning the end of the law and the goal. So kind of the termination, meaning Christ is kind of the end of the law, the previous set of standards to which we had to live up to. Jesus now kind of fulfills those things. Jesus is also the goal of the law. Everything about the law from the beginning of Genesis all the way through the end of Revelation, everything is about Jesus, pointing us to Jesus. And so Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says of himself, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay, so Jesus 
is the goal. Everything that we do, everything that we see in Scripture, ultimately at some level should point us towards Jesus in our growing and our understanding of how we walk closer with Him. <clears throat> Heard a quote, um, it was by Robert Marshall, and who quoted a professor he had in college. He said, any theology that does not lead you to love Jesus more misses the point. Amen. I think that's a great quote. Um, any theology that does not lead us to loving Jesus more misses the point. Okay, so this is kind of what Paul's talking about here, that Christ being the end or the goal of the law. It should be to help you know Jesus more, to love Him better. Okay, jumping down again, let's go to verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteous, righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Okay, so Paul references Moses here, referencing the fact that Moses obviously taught, keep the Ten Commandments, right? Keep the commandments. But he's saying, he's using this as an example here to say that it's not about keeping the commandments that's the most important. It's about the righteousness that's based on faith in the gospel, okay? So he uses this kind of this weird illustration of, like, who say we're going to go up to heaven and bring Christ down, okay? that's none of, Who could do that in this room? None of us, okay? Who could go down to the abyss and bring Christ back up from the dead? None of us, okay? So the, his point is this striving, this almost this ridiculous idea of striving is almost as ridiculous as saying, we're going to go up to a heaven and bring Christ down real quick. Or I'm going to go over here and bring Christ up from the dead. That type of striving, that type of parallel analogy of what our striving looks like as using Moses as an example, it's not worth it. We can't do that. Striving is getting us nowhere. Okay, So jumping down to verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Notice there that it's not just about believing in your heart. It's not just about saying something with your mouth. It's both. It's believing in your heart. It's also confessing with your mouth. Okay, so we'll get back to this a little bit later. It's kind of where we're going. Um, and so confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. And then in verse 13, excuse me, verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, and then Paul makes it a point to say that there is no distinction. Once again, we've been hearing this multiple times throughout Romans. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Now, the last time Paul used this phrase, there is no distinction, it was Romans 2, 3, or 4. I can't remember. I'm sorry. I should have looked up that reference. But the last time he uses that phrase, there is no distinction, he was actually using that in the negative term that, look, all of you are wretched and vile and opposed to God. There's no distinction between any of us. We are all opposed <clears throat> enemies of God. Okay, And so now it's beautiful to see Paul saying, no, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Now, though anyone that calls on Jesus' name will be saved. 3.22? Thank you for that, Ed. <laughs> Romans 3.22 was when he used that last. And so now it's cool to see Paul saying that, look, if anyone would call on the name of Jesus, he will be saved. Okay? There's no, no, it's not for you, it's only for these people. Okay? It's for anyone that will call on his name. Okay? So this kind of brings us to the main section that I kind of want us to focus on tonight as we get into verse 14 and 15. So, verse 14. How then will they call on him 
in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Okay. How many of you guys have heard the quote before, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words? How many of you heard? St. Francis of Assisi. So many of you have heard that. It's a great quote. This was a very influential quote in my life when I was in undergrad when I was in Bible college in Omaha, one of our classes was the life of Christ. And one of the quotes that came up in that discussion of what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live a life like Christ? Someone used that quote and said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. So what that's saying is everything that we should do, everything that we're doing, our day-to-day pattern, our our day-to-day conduct, everything that we do, the way we do it, why we do it, Words, deeds, everything should ultimately be preaching the gospel. It should be proclaiming through our, word, through our deeds that there is something about us that's different, that's changed, and that's transformed. Now, I like that quote a lot. It was really influential in my thinking and shaping my thinking because at that point in life, I had just become a Christian, just went off to Bible college, had no idea really what it meant to live a Christian life. And so that was helpful in saying, okay, it's not just about going to church. That's where I was. I thought it was just you go to church, you be a good person, you try not to cuss, and that's it. That is not what it means to be a Christian. That's a piece, a very small piece of it. There's so much more. And so this was helpful in me thinking, okay, I, I need to do, my life should look different. Okay? Francis Chan has a quote that says, when your life makes sense to unbelievers, there's something wrong. Okay? I think that's, I think that's a great quote. When your life looks I just totally spaced the quote. It just left my head. Sorry. When your life, thank you, when your life makes sense to unbelievers, there's something wrong. Meaning, our life shouldn't look like everyone else's. We shouldn't act like everyone else. We shouldn't talk like everyone else. And obviously, there's a line, there's a balance in all of this of trying to be in the world but not of the world. And so this quote was helpful for me as I learned that my life should reflect and point to Christ. Okay? It's not just about I show up once a week and I'm a Christian Monday through Saturday. I'm Brett, I do what I want. That's how I lived my life in college, before college. The problem with this quote that I've heard for many years is it's not necessarily wrong. I think it's just incomplete. And if we're not careful, we can take this great quote that is true and we can stretch it to an extreme and then live by that extreme only. And then we become people that never talk about our faith. We never proclaim the good news. We never share with our family, our friends, our coworkers. We never actually say anything because we have gone to this extreme of, well, I'm just going to live a righteous life and I'll just trust that God uses my life and that's all that I have to do. Okay, that's an extreme. You should do this. You should live a life that's righteous. We should be living a life where people are assuming, hey, that's, that, guy, that guy's different. There's something about him. Okay, turn the page too soon. What am I doing? Um, and so I focused, when I heard this quote, I focused on how do I fit my life into living righteously enough so people, when they see me, they say, man, that guy's life is different, okay? That was great. And so the thing that we need to think about, and this brings up an interesting question, if, that, if we take that quote to its extreme, then here's the question. If we lived our lives so closely depicting the heart and soul of the gospel, would we actually need to ever speak or proclaim the gospel? Okay, would we ever actually need to speak the gospel if our lives lived so closely to what the gospel itself represented. 
This is the tension that I think we need to wrestle with. And while this may seem like a no-brainer, like, well, of course, Brett, like, of course we need to say something. But I know for my own self, I've struggled for years, and let's be honest, I'm lazy, and I'm scared, and I'm not comfortable talking all the time about the Jesus that I say I love and I believe. Now, that's a whole other separate problem in me of growing in my maturity, not being ashamed of the gospel. But I think if we're not careful, if we don't have this balanced approach to speaking the truth and letting our lives demonstrate it through words and deeds, then we get into this place where we're just living our lives and we'll just we'll never say anything, okay? So, of course, the problem is balance. We need both, okay? So this is kind of what I want us to focus on tonight. Um, our lives should demonstrate the gospel, but the piece that I think is so often missing in my life and so often missing in our lives is proclaiming the gospel as well, okay? And so the main point tonight, if you don't hear anything else, this is my challenge to myself and my challenge to us is that we need to be people that boldly demonstrate and proclaim the gospel every day of our life. Now that's going to look different for each of us, and that's fine. But we must be people that boldly demonstrate and proclaim the gospel in everything that we do. Say, And this, this activity should be something that's naturally a part of our lives as we grow as a disciple of Jesus. Some people would say this is evangelism. I would agree evangelism is about being a herald of the good news, okay? So in Romans 15, Paul references kind of his, kind of defines what preaching the gospel looks like for him. In Romans 15, 18, and 19, he says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And how? How has he brought the Gentiles to obedience? By word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around of Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. So preaching the gospel for Paul was not just standing up and saying something. Obviously, Paul did tons of that and was very good at that. He also proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles through the way he lived his life, through the way he loved them, through compassion and mercy and serving. Okay, and so the first point of how do we live, how do we live this way um, is to demonstrate. Say demonstrate. 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 Okay, so one of the first ways that we can live to demonstrate the gospel is to have this mentality of living sent. Okay, look at verse 15. We kind of work backwards here. So Romans 10, 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Okay, and how, and uh, excuse me, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news? Okay, living sent. This idea that when we started raising support a long time ago to move to Utah from Nebraska, we were using the language that we are going to be missionaries sent from Nebraska to Utah to do campus ministry. Okay, and people resonate with the idea. So, okay, you're leaving one place. You're going another place. Okay, so you're sent to Utah. Okay, cool. I think there's more to being a missionary than just leaving one place and going to another place. I think living sent lives as people, we are sent right where God has placed you. All of us that, are, that claim to be believers in Christ have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Jesus said that it's better that you have the Holy Spirit in you than it's actually to have Jesus himself with you. So we have the power of the Spirit of God living inside of us. Therefore, that makes us a pretty potent witness to the lost and unbelieving world if we allow God to use us as his instruments. Amen. And so if we live sent lives, 
if we have the mentality, it's more of just like having glasses. It's like, if I take these off, I can't see correctly what's back there. I can't even hardly see your faces. That's how bad it is. But if I put these on, I can see clearly, okay, I know where everything is in the room. Living scent is the glasses to our lives. It's the, okay, so the world is not just the world. The world is actually our mission field, if you will. So it would almost be cool if we had a sign above that door. So every, every week when we left, it said, you are now entering the mission field. That's the reality of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Everywhere that our feet take us, the Holy Spirit indwelling us uses us, if we allow Him to, to be salt and to be light and to love and show compassion and mercy on people. And so we sit in a place in Utah, and you guys know this better than I do. Most of you have lived here way longer than I've even been here. Utah is a mission field, specifically. Of all the states and all the country, Utah is the most unreached state in the country. 3% of this state is Christian. 97% is not. You guys know the predominant religion here. Okay, so not only everywhere that we go, you know, are we living sent, but what about your neighbors? What about your coworkers? And you guys know, most of you know this, but I think for myself, I sometimes slip back into this mentality that, okay, live sent, okay, missionary, okay, I need to go talk to certain groups of people instead of, what about my neighbor? What about my neighbor? What about the person that changes the oil on my car? Do I have that same perspective that I want to try and be salt and light to the person that's changing the oil in my car, just the same way as if I were to go to Africa and talk to a group of orphans in an orphanage. It's the same thing. I heard a story that was really powerful for me in thinking about this. Um, a story, some other preacher, I don't even remember his name, was talking about a guy in his church, and the guy came back super excited. So I just came back from a missions trip, went to Africa, built dug wells, built an orphanage, did a lot of amazing stuff, and that's really good stuff. Don't hear me say don't do that. Do that. That's great stuff. But the guy came back super jazzed about that, and that's great. And the pastor's like, that's really great. I'm glad. That's way cool that you're jazzed about wanting to help the nations. It's awesome. Do you know your neighbors? The guy's like, I don't talk to my neighbors. My neighbors are weirdos, you know, and why would I talk to my neighbors? The guy had a complete disconnect between the same people that need the gospel live next door to him and the same people that need the gospel also live on another continent. Okay, and so there's no either or. You need to go one or you need to go the other. Jesus has called us to be salt and light where God's already placed you. So think through that. Where has God placed you specifically right now in your life? And who are some of the people that maybe God is calling you and challenging you to demonstrate the gospel to? What would that look like? Maybe that's, maybe that's simply taking somebody out for coffee and saying, hey, I don't know you. I'd like, to, I'd like to get to know you. Tell me your story. Maybe it's bringing a pie and dropping a pie off and just saying, hey, I moved into the neighborhood. It's good to be here. I'd like to know my neighbors. It could, it could be whatever God puts on your heart to be. The point is, who has God placed you in front of right now that you can demonstrate the gospel to? And take steps to do that this week. Think of one person. I'm going to talk about this for the next point, too, in proclaiming. But think of one person that needs to see the love of God demonstrated to them in a tangible way. Think of one thing for one person and do that this week. Maybe as simple as a text message. And, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I know you're going through a hard time. just want you to know I'm there for you. Something like that, okay? So how are you demonstrating the gospel where God has already placed you? Okay. So demonstrate is the first point. The second point is proclaim. Say proclaim. Proclaim. Demonstrate and proclaim. So they go hand in hand. Okay, and so Paul 
I love how he kind of has these rhetorical questions that are almost silly. It's like, well, how then will they call on them if they've never believed? And how are they even going to believe if they've never even heard? And how are they going to hear if someone preaches? And how are they going to preach if no one is sent? Okay, so since the Greek word for preach means to herald or to announce, preaching then is not limited to just proclamation from this pulpit. You can preach, you can announce, you can say, you can share good news everywhere you go. If you have a mouth that works and you have a voice that operates, you can share the gospel. You don't need to be here with this to do that. In fact, I encourage you not to be, to be in the places where God's already placed you. Okay? And I love how Paul uses the example from Isaiah 52, 7 of the beautiful feet. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. This imagery here is really cool. He, in, the, in the context of Isaiah 52, he is referencing this running messenger that's coming to announce to Judah that they are now free from exile from Babylon. Okay? That, that God has ended their exile in Babylon. Okay? I don't know about you, but if I was in exile for as long as they were and somebody came and was telling me the exile is over, that would be a very welcome message, would it not? How much more do you think the gospel message is going to be welcomed and good news to people that are hopeless, addicted, bankrupt, homeless, how much more would you think that news would be welcomed, received, people wanting that? Okay, this is, this is the gospel. This is the best message that any of us could ever talk about. And my own conviction is, how often do I talk about this? How often do I share this with people, my neighbors? And it's not necessarily like every opportunity has to be, bam, hit them with the gospel. But how often do I think, what is, a bit, what is a bridge that I can build with my neighbor that I don't know well that would allow me to be, to get to know her to the point where I could share something about the gospel and speak into her life a truth about what I believe is the answer to everyone's problems? All brokenness, all addiction, all sin at some level comes back to this. And this is the answer. And if we're not ever talking about it, we should be. And so, in the language that we use today is not, okay, go preach to your neighbor. Share your story. What is your story? When I was doing campus ministry, another campus minister told me, Brett, nobody can argue with a transformed life. Share your story. I think that's a good line. I mean, people could argue. You know how people are. People are going to argue. Say, well, that's, that didn't happen. It's like, okay, I got, I got saved, but you're right. I guess it didn't happen. What? No. Share your story. Share your story. <laughs> People, our culture loves stories. I wish I had more stories in this sermon. It would probably be more interesting for you guys to listen to if I had more stories. We all love stories. So tell somebody your story. Look for ways to share your story. Okay? Share what God has done in your life. People can't argue with the fact that you say, I used to be this guy. I used to do these things. I met Jesus. I found the truth in the gospel. I submitted my life to him. He's my Lord and he's my Savior. Now I purpose to follow him the rest of my life. My life's not easy, but my life has joy. My life has peace. My life has purpose. That came from God. People can't argue with that. And even if they do, let them argue. You, you share your story and be faithful to share what God has done in your life. And we've talked about it a lot. Plant seeds, water seeds. It is God alone that makes those things grow. It's God alone that reaps the harvest and brings people to himself. We don't do that. So be faithful to share your story. Okay, 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation. He's talking about God's people. A people for His own possession. Now listen, this is beautiful. That you, that you, that me, that you may proclaim the excellencies of yourself. No. You may proclaim the excellencies of Him. We're not proclaiming anything about us. Okay? Let's not be self-absorbed. Let's not be self-promoting. Let's promote Jesus. Let's promote the gospel because ultimately he's the only one that does anything good in our lives. And like Paul said in a, in a few chapters back, there is nothing good that dwells in me. There's nothing good that dwells in us. Jesus, through his spirit, has transformed us. That has nothing to do with us doing anything. That's the excellencies that we should be proclaiming of Christ. Okay, so the end of that verse in 1 Peter 2.9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him, Christ, who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. How many of you can relate to that? Have you been in darkness? Do we rem- I, Sometimes I know my own life, I forget what that was like. I forget that I was in darkness. I forget that my life of sin was horrible. And it was so not peaceful. It was so not joyful. It was so ugly. It was so painful. I think we need to sometimes reflect on that in terms of, man, what have I been saved to? <laughs> Look what God has done. I should want to share this. I see people that are broken and hurting. I had an interaction with a homeless guy in Rose Park. Very colorful conversation. <laughs> and I kept trying to just encourage the guy that God had a plan and a purpose for his life. I didn't know all the answers. I wasn't saying, I'm going to fix your life. I have no idea the things you've been through. But he refused to hear it. That's not going to stop me from trying to say, look, God, I think, is the answer to those problems. I'm sorry that you experienced that. But God has changed my life. I believe He can change your life. I believe He wants to change your life. And we have to do our best to be as faithful as we possibly can and let God do the work. And so some of you are saying, okay, but Brett, but I haven't been to Bible college. I haven't had exclusive training in evangelism and sharing the gospel. I don't even know how to use a tract. Whatever. Okay, Listen to this quote by Dwayne Lifkin, former president of Wheaton College. He said, this is such a great quote, um, the gospel's inherent power does not fluctuate with the strengths or weaknesses of its messengers. This truth is humbling, but it's also immensely liberating. In the end, our inability to answer objections, our lack of training or experience, and even failures in our own faithfulness in living it out do not nullify the gospel's power. Amen. Its potency, meaning the gospel, its potency is due to the working of God's Spirit. Even when we are at our very best, the gospel is powerful in spite of us, not because of us. The gospel doesn't need you to proclaim, well, that's not true. Let me back up. The gospel doesn't need you to save people. The gospel needs to be proclaimed to people. Okay? Our job is to talk about it, to show it, to live it, and know that the gospel in itself, Paul said that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel itself, it is the power unto salvation for all who believe. The gospel itself doesn't need our help. The gospel needs to be spoken, needs to be demonstrated. Okay? So how, and I think about this in my own life, my own family, how will my loved ones and neighbors hear about the goodness of Christ unless I say something. And that's really humbling and sobering. I know most of you, some of you may have family in that same position. So the question for us is, where is God calling you to join Him in His work? 
of making his message, the gospel, known in your community, in your family, in your work, in your gym, in your auto garage. Wherever God has placed you, where is he calling you to partner with him in the work that he's doing already in proclaiming the gospel? What are we going to say? People say, I mean, the, the verse of, we should be ready to give a, give a reason for the hope that we have in season and out. We should be ready to say, here's the reason I believe in Jesus. Okay? So now we've kind of talked a little bit about what it looks like to demonstrate and proclaim. Please, these are not, this is not the, this is not the, uh, the complete list of how to do this. There is hundreds of ways to demonstrate, hundreds of ways to proclaim. My encouragement is to demonstrate and proclaim. How you do that, as long as it fits inside of this book, standards, go ahead and knock yourself out. But please be demonstrating. Please be proclaiming. I think as I was thinking through this, I watched a YouTube video a long time ago called Start With The Why by Simon Sinek. You guys may have seen that. It's pretty cool. It's all businessy, but the concepts behind it are really cool and helping us think through, okay, Brett, you just said we should demonstrate and proclaim kind of how. Why? Why should we do that? I think there's many reasons to that. I think there's four major ones. Um, one of the first reasons that why we should proclaim and demonstrate the gospel is because God invites and allows us to participate with him in evangelism as his chosen vessels and instruments. Okay? Do you think God needed Isaiah? Do you think God needed the apostles? Do you think God even needed Paul to accomplish his mission? If Paul wasn't there, do you think the church would have expanded? Do you think God's will would have been done? Absolutely. Why? Because God doesn't need us to do this. It's really humbling and, once again, liberating. He doesn't need us, but the beauty of that is He allows us to, and not only allows us to, He invites us to do it. He invites us to do this. Okay. The, the key for us, I think, is so many times is myself having an ego. <laughs> I think God needs me sometimes. I get prideful and think, man, I'm kind of a big deal. I mean, I can do this well. I can do that well. People are lucky to have me around. That's super arrogant. Okay? If I apply that to God, say, man, God, I'm really glad you got me, because if you didn't have me, you wouldn't have this. God's just like, oh, my word. Like, you're, you're a work of art. Okay? So God graciously allows us to be chosen instruments. Okay? A trumpet by itself is worthless without somebody knowing how to play that thing. Okay? Guitar. Pretty cool looking, pretty worthless without the guy that knows how to play it, without the electrical cord and the amp that makes all the sound come out. It is an instrument to be plugged into other things, to be used by someone knowing how that thing operates. Okay. R.C. Sproul says, Evangelism must never be done out of a sense of duty because evangelism is one of the greatest privileges that God gives the church. God has given men the most sacred vocation possible carrying this treasure, meaning the gospel, in jars of clay. Many of you have probably heard of the band Jars of Clay. Okay, Whether you like them or not, it can be debated. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.7 talks about this jars of clay idea that Sproul mentions, and it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, Okay, so the context of that in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is talking about the light and the power of the gospel. Okay, that's this immeasurable treasure, this beautiful thing. And we think about treasure, I don't know about you, when I think about pirates and pirate ships, and they're going to get the, the, the booty or whatever. <laughs> they call it, that's not the right word. <laughs> buried treasure. 
it was, it was bringing in this massive just steel trunk, right? With big old lock and key, the padlock, tons of guard. I mean, it's they put that treasure in a super hardcore, durable, weathered thing, right? You don't take something immensely valuable like that and put it in, in a jar made of clay. Okay, clay is the most common substance back then made of just dirt and sand and water. I mean, there's nothing valuable about it, okay? And so the idea is treasure, the power and the light of the gospel through God and His Spirit, something of immense value that cannot have a price tag. God allows that power through the Holy Spirit to dwell inside an earthly vessel made of clay, this common, meh, kind of material. He lets that dwell inside of us. It's, it's mind-blowing. Us common, you think about clay, how, how common it is, how frail and weak it is. You drop a clay pot right here, it's done. Even on carpet, it's probably the shatter. Compre- incredibly weak. And I think about myself this whole week being sick, the whole week and being like, I have no time to even work on the sermon, God, because I'm sick. I'm going to need you to come down and heal me. It'll be great. And being a weak vessel, God still uses broken, weak people like myself and you. We are all in that place. So God using us as this vessel that carries something. And so I don't know how many times we've thought of ourselves as carrying something that valuable. Okay? We carry something with us that the world needs. Okay? Yeah, we're common. Yeah, we're frail. Yeah, we're weak. But what's inside of us through the power of the Spirit is worth sharing. Okay? So that's the first reason we demonstrate and proclaim the gospel, because God has invited us into that. He's allowed us to do it, and He uses us as His chosen instruments as we submit to His authority in that. Second reason, we demonstrate and proclaim the gospel because we've been commanded to do it. Mark sixteen fifteen. you guys have probably heard these verses. And He said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Okay? Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Ben read this earlier. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, that I will be with you always to the very end of the age. We have been allowed and invited in and commanded. God said, I need you to go. Go wherever He has placed you. Go to the ends of the earth. I'm going to be with you no matter where you go. Carry this treasure with you everywhere you go. Share it. Teach the gospel. Make disciples. Teach them to obey Christ, and I will be with you. Baptize them. Okay. Third reason we demonstrate and proclaim the gospel is because as recipients of this amazing grace that's resulted in salvation through Christ, we should want to share the gospel. We should lead the way in sharing the gospel. Uh, there's lyrics from a song that you've probably heard me quote time and time again, but I love the message of it, is we've been redeemed to redeem the world around us. We've been pursued by God to pursue the world around us. We've been loved to love one another. So everything that we have been given, everything that's been worked in and through us through the power of the Holy Spirit is not just for us to keep hang out and close the doors and just wait the game out. It's supposed to be shared. It's supposed to be given. Okay, Paul references this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. It says, For I delivered to you. That means he brought something. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So Paul is giving things that he got himself. Okay, That is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Okay, so verse 10 and 11. But by the grace of God I am that I am, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. 
Okay, His grace had an effect. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then, whether then it was thy or they, so we preach and so you believe. Okay, so Paul is saying, the grace that has been upon my life through Christ, what the gospel represents and all that it has done in my life, I don't want to receive that and just sit on it. God's grace with me will not be in vain. I am going to give to you now. I will share with you all what I have been shown, what I have been shared with. Okay. There's another quote from a song that I like that says, My sins, my sins are stories of grace to recall. My sins are stories of grace to recall. My past is ugly. Most of our past is ugly. But the reason our past is our past and the reason that's part of our story because I look back at this story now and I see, had it not been for God's grace, I'd still be in this. Had it not been for the power of the Holy Spirit working through the gospel in me, I'd still be in this. Now, Christ has redeemed me, sanctified me, delivered me, and He wants me to tell other people that there is redemption, sanctification, and deliverance for them as well. We have to be people that demonstrate that, live that way, share our story, share the news with people as much as we possibly can, and whatever way God leads you to do that is great. So lastly, the fourth and probably the most important reason that we need to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel is because there is a lost and hopeless, godless world that's watching and examining our lives every day, everywhere that we go, They are constantly and desperately seeking answers to the deepest longings of their heart, wondering why God is allowing all of this to happen. There is lost people dying every single day, going to face the reality of a Christless eternity in hell. I don't know about you, but when I started, I didn't start working on this sermon until Saturday mid-morning. And the first thing that God laid on my heart was that, was that, what's the big, why demonstrate and proclaim? We can talk about methods all we want, doesn't matter really how you do it what matters is the fact that there are lost people there are people that have no idea some people have never even heard i've run into people in this state that never have really even heard really about who jesus is what he came to accomplish and what the gospel even means there is a lost world all around us three percent of this entire state is christian that's it 97 percent is lost we must be people that demonstrate and proclaim the gospel because God's invited us to do it. We've been commanded to do it. We've been shown so much grace. How could we not? And there are people that need to hear it because they've never heard it and they're lost. And without it, they will spend an eternity without Christ. And I think about family members. And that sounds, um, for me, that's so hard because it, it doesn't always feel like it's that personal until I start thinking about people that I know. I know people, and if I think about those person, those people spending an eternity away from Christ, it really breaks my heart to know everything that they are living in now and everything that they'll live in is only going to be a hundred times worse without Christ. So we have to be people that boldly demonstrate and proclaim the gospel in everything that we do. So as we as we transition in here to a to a time of communion, um, actually, let me pray. Let me pray quick. God, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice, God, and where you're calling us to demonstrate the gospel and to proclaim the gospel, whether that's in our workplace, whether that's in, whether that's in the places that we um, frequent, whether restaurants or gyms, God, our family members. 
God, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear where you're calling us to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel. God, that as we go to Rose Park, God, that we would be people that are genuinely broken and burdened for those that have no idea who you are. God, I pray that you would impress upon us a heavier burden, God, to share the gospel, to do evangelism, to be people that live lives of salt and light, that we would be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that people would come to find faith in you, God, and that they would find hope, they would find salvation, they would find deliverance, they would find sanctification, God. Thank you that you, through your Spirit, have done that in us. God, may we be people that are not selfish with this gospel. God, may we be very open. May we share it frequently. May we use the freedoms that this country affords us and that we would share it openly. God, we are not being persecuted, and I praise you for that. But God, may we take advantage of it. May we leverage the freedom we have in this country for the sake of your gospel and for the sake of advancing your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Redeeming Life Church is located in Salt Lake City, Utah. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit www.redeeminglifeutah.org.